ride with me in my foul life. We got another episode coming at you, The Foul Life. We brought to you today by Gerber Gear, Stay Sharp America. Check out all the Gerber Gear products, gerbergear.com. You can see them in use on The Foul Life episodes all over our social media. We don't leave home without a blade. We use them to cook and clean and process and butcher and build blinds, the hatchets, the axes, the saws. They got it all. They're so innovative. Made in America. They support the American Hunter. Today's episode of the Fallout Podcast is also brought to you by Rigid Industries. See the light. I hate being in the dark. I like knowing what's up, setting up decoys, driving, flashlights, headlamps, light bars, LEDs. I like to know what's in front of me. I don't like being in the dark, and that's why we depend on Rigid. They support who we are and what we are and what we try to achieve on a daily basis all year round. So fishing, hunting, camping, cutting down Christmas trees, going lizard hunting at night, looking for frogs, gigging them, cutting off those legs, putting them in that grease. I love to eat the frog legs. Today's episode is also brought to you by Lear. Have you ever been riding down the road or driving down the road and looking the back and that rain is just hitting all of your suitcases? You tried to put a tarp on there, but that heavy wind ripped it off. That's why we got Lear. We got the Lear locker with our Benelli's in it. We got all of our dogs and kennels and camera cases and everything that we depend on when we're on the road is in the back of that truck, safe and secure because a Lear topper so innovative. I absolutely would put them up against any other topper in the world. They are the best made, most innovative, out of the box thinking, all of the different options with doors and access and windows and lifts. Like I said, the Lear locker, all of the electrical, the lights, everything you need to keep all of your gear, your family, your dogs, your man's best friend, safe and secure while you travel America's highways and back roads. Thank you, Lear. Thank you, Rigid. Thank you, Gerber. Today's episode, we got the man back on here. We're duck calling again. I was duck calling last night for this individual on the phone, and I couldn't get really a good read if they thought I sounded ducky. All they kept saying is that... Uh, it sounds good. It sounds good. And I'm like, I wonder if it really does. And I think that we all get in our heads a little bit about duck calling because we want to sound like mallards. We want to be mallardly. We want to be realistic and legitimate when we're out there. And uh, this man right here is building the best duck calls, in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinion, because the brand Jargon Game Calls at JargonGameCalls.com has absolutely blown up. Chris, what's up? How's the weather in Arkansas? uh cloudy overcast raining need for the rain to stop it's uh i know it's flooding down louisiana right now but it's uh it's getting close up here all the rivers are up we need that water to go down bad because it's on the trees and you know we always talk about the trees getting the water off the trees as fast as possible during springtime and man it just hadn't caught a break all spring we needed all that water back during the winter time and now we got it all now so watch and see it's probably going to be dry as a a bone during duck season. <laughs> uh, don't say that. Come on, hopefully, man. Hopefully not. <laughs> don't say that. Last time we talked, we talked about kind of the hunting hell call. Why don't you revisit that for a second and how we talked about getting that air implemented into that call, hand position. We kind of didn't – it wasn't a disagreement, but I had some questions about the flapping of the hand and the timing of that. Um, show us for all of the viewers out there and then hit that call a second on what a ringing hell is and compare it a ringing hell to a hunting hell. Ringing is more of a competition deal. So when we talk about the hell call, we don't want people to think it's necessarily, you know, here in, here in Trey Crawford on stage on Main Street in Stuttgart. Um, not to say that that won't break ducks down, but you don't necessarily need to ring a hunting hell. Is that true? Yeah, it's 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 got somewhat of like a a hint of a ring, but it's it's got more rasp in that ring versus like a, a main street call, a competition call. It's gonna be like you know, so it's not gonna have that it's not gonna have that that body behind it as much as a, a hunt style hill call is. And so hunt style hill call is probably the most, uh, you know, one of the most, you know, best things you can possibly do in the field is for us to get a duck's attention. Other than, of course, cut down calls and stuff like that. But it's got its own harmonic and its own pitch. And a lot of times, you know, 
you're going to pick up that pitch a lot quicker than you would say a wider or raspier sound like a cut down call. Uh, you know, in our live duck and paradox and a chit chat, those calls are the ones that'll be able to do that hunting style hail call. The the small talk, loud mouth and stuff. It's it's more of a a rasp hail, just a straight. But here's the hunting style hail right here. What call is this? You can hear the rasp in it. Is it cutting out at all? No, it's not cutting out. What call are you using? Right now, I'm using a live duck. Live, okay, duck, live duck. Being the tone board is just flat. Uh, it's a very flat tone board, and then it drops off. It's it's really easy to get up on top of versus the paradox stuff. The paradoxes still do it, but you'll need to lean on it a little more and and not open your throat as much on a paradox. But. <laughs> So again, all you're doing is is you're opening your throat, either saying hut or oot, 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 oot. But getting finding that that throat where you need to be, you know, because if you close it down too much, of course, you'll be that's too high pitched, right? So you'll start slowly opening your throat to find that spot. See where I just slowly started yep. closing, it? and the same thing with raspy. If you if you open your throat too much, you're gonna be just nothing but a rasp. <laughs> you probably hear it how raspy it is, but you want that that note to. And you're not breathing each note. I want the I want the the listeners to understand that you're taking in a breath and filling up your diaphragm in your stomach. And then it's almost like we talked about you get punched in the stomach. So it's like, <gasps> and now you're letting out little bursts of that air and controlling it with your throat and your tongue. So that's where you're getting the different quacks that make up that that sink. You know that group of quacks that we call a hunting hell that will go into your greeters and then, and then you know you'll have you'll have different pitches and different tones and different what we call cadences within that but that's filling up your diaphragm with air <gasps> chris i need and you're controlling that air with the back of your mouth and the opening of your throat and your tongue in different instances right 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 so basically you know, and, and, and then when you're coming down off of it, basically when you're coming down on your pitches, on your notes, you're going to actually start getting a little more ducky as you go down. You don't want to keep that tight throat. You want to start lo slowly loosening your throat up to where it basically gets ducky. So, again, when you start off, it's going to be finding that tunnel in your throat, finding that per perfect size, and then popping it. And then as you come down, you're going to sit there and start relaxing that throat and sl slowly start bringing your cadences a little bit, you know, close together and, and a little wider. So, so you close, you slowly pitching that air and then it's coming down and you're slowing your air down and you just basically relaxing your throat a little more. Ooh, that sounds good. And again, a call has to be, I can take a call, I can take a live duck straight off the mill and I can blow into it. And yeah, I can get a okay hunting style hill. But once I hit just a little bit of sandpaper on it and I open it up, that's what we call opening a call up. When you open that, basically that mouth up, uh, that tone channel up on the call, you know, you don't want to open up too much because then you won't be able to get it to where that reed's going to hold down as you as you pop an air into it. But if you got it perfect, you'll hear that just that. It'll be perfect every time. So a call a call at the end of the day does have to be tuned right in order to achieve that sound. Um, and and again, that's what we do. We test it. We make sure it hits that hill. We make sure it hits a feed call. Make sure it hits quack. All that stuff. We want to make sure everything. That goes out the door is, is perfect. They'll be able to accomplish all those calls. And when you come down off of that hunting hail call, you say you loosen your throat up a little bit and you start to, you know, it starts to make a little bit more. Uh, it's a different pitch when you come down off of that. So when you come 
down the scale, do you start getting more to where your throat and your air pressure needs to be to get into your greeters? And we talked about the feed chatter earlier in our last podcast, but I figured that we ought to go in order now because once you come down off of getting their attention and breaking them, you're probably going to go into a, a, a what we call a, a, a series of cadences that we're going to keep that different hens around different trees in the woods or wherever you're hunting. You're emulating your decoys talking so are you kind of getting your mouth in position because is your mouth more in a position towards the end of that hunting hill to where now it's shaped for your cadences a little bit more relaxed and you're going to be able to use your hand and your back pressure to manipulate some of those sounds and different ducks yeah so what i'm doing is i'm getting ready to transition you know whenever i get in that hunt style hill i get their attention they're coming in now I need to sound like as many ducks as possible on the water, right? So I need to I need to throw fine, coarse, raspy, start adjusting it around. That's when I'll just start opening and closing my throat. You know, a hunting style hell can be done all kinds of different ways, of course. But I think that a hunting style hell is like a coarse hen. It's like a coarse hen call on top. You're getting a little bit of pitch and you're getting a little bit of rasp. As you start coming down and the ducks start getting close, then you want to start getting ducky and you want to start basically, you know, throwing all kinds of different ducks out there. Fast cadence, slow cadence, because ducks in the water, they're like, you know, so you're trying to throw all that stuff in there to try to sound as much, you know, like a duck, a bunch of ducks on the water as possible. Of course, ducks are comfortable coming into big groups and they feel comfortable. So, you know, that's when I'm going to, yes, as I'm coming down, I'm relaxing my throat. And a lot of people think that whenever you do those fast cadences and stuff, that you're just trying to do as fast as possible. You're trying to throw extreme quick air in there. You don't have to do that. All you're doing is is you're popping little beats bits of air in there at the time. So in other words, you're sitting there just going. It's still the same, basically little pops of air. You're just letting it pop out yeah a little bit quicker but it's not you're not speeding up your your air as much as people think people think you don't have to do all that you know so i slow my air down i spin my air up You can go all, all around, you know, and just kind of bounce it around trying to sound do like that, multiple Do that again. Do that again, please, but step back um, and blow a little bit away. I just want to – I want the the listeners to be able to hear that a little bit Again, you just throw all kinds of different scenarios out there as far as on, you know, a duck. There's not a exact right way on how a duck sounds, in my opinion. There's, They've got all kinds of different voices. Humans have different voices. You hear somebody that's got a squeaky voice. You hear somebody's deep voice. So you're trying to throw that all around as you come down off of the hill. And you really don't need to transition into a feed call, in my opinion, unless the ducks just that day just want nothing but feed. But I'm going to stay on my cadences as they're on the corners. I'm going to keep calling them on the corners and stay on cadences until they say, you know what? That does sound legit. We're fixing to come in. And then as soon as I know they fixing to turn that thing, I'll throw in hiccup to quack, hiccup to quack, hiccup to quack, a little feed call, a little feed call there and here and there. Um, just trying to keep their attention and trying to, I think people underestimate what you're trying to do is what you're trying to do is whenever ducks come in is you don't have to, if they want it, if the duck doesn't want it all the way to water, don't give them all the way to water. If a duck basically, all you're trying to do is you're trying to direct them, just like you're a guy out there trying to direct, you know, traffic, you know, on the, on the runway and airport. That's what they're doing. They're saying, hey, come this way. So when you hit that sound, you're putting a tunnel of sound out there that's saying, no, 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 you're getting off a little bit. Get back on track. No, 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 you get off a little bit. Get back on track. And it just keeps them and, and lines them up to come in for the for the kill. So, so does it – if you're just one single caller out there and, like, you're the lead caller, 
How many ducks, you mentioned you're trying to sound like as many ducks on the water as you can. How many ducks can one guy sound like? You said that ducks have different voices. Um, that same duck that has the squeaky voice can talk in different cadences and different speeds and different lengths. You can do three notes, five notes, seven notes. And then that coarse duck, same thing, right? Different cadences, different speeds, different lengths. So really you're taking all of these different voices and now you're turning them into, you know, different sounds to where you might hit them with a five note fast. Then the course comes on for a deeper, slower greeter. But I'm talking like the a duck hunter that wants to be a proficient duck caller in the woods or in his blind, his or her blind. How many should they try to master? Starting off, you need to get the four down. Once you get the four, then you can move on to everything else. But of course, you got to sound like a on the quack. First off, you got to sound like a duck. You know, don't try to 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 run before you crawl. Try to get down the quack, get down everything perfectly. You got your feet called down, then you can start to move on to trying to sound like multiple ducks. But whenever you do get your quack down, your feet down, your tail call down, all that stuff, and you feel like you're proficient on a call, and that you can actually sound like a duck, and you're not basically stumbling as you blow in the call, uh, then that's when you're going to try to basically start working with your throat to close your throat down, open your throat. And that's where you're going to get fine, coarse, raspy, and boss in. Those are the four. And all between those four, you could have a, a, a fine, coarse hen. You could have a coarse in between a coarse and a raspy, in between a raspy and a boss hen. Uh, you can you can go even unlimited from that. You can get a squeaky hen. You can get like a like a Cajun squeal or whatnot. Um, a bounce. You can start throwing some bounces in. You can take bounces and throw a bounce in between a fine and a coarse. You can take a a bounce and throw between a coarse and a raspy and so forth. But the the really you know if I had to say how many ducks you can possibly get out of one duck call, I mean, I mean it's not endless by no means, but. You can, I mean, I hear stuff all the time when I'll go hunting with somebody else and they'll throw something else out that I've, I've never done or never heard of. And you're like, whoa, that sounded awesome. You know, so ducks really don't have exact, you know, exact voice. Uh, I think you can kind of be unique with how you call and kind of throw things together. Again, like I said, a bounce. I mean, take a bounce, for instance. You can have that bounce of fine in a course. You know, that bounce, of course, and raspy, you can do a bounce with the, uh, I don't know if I could do it, but like on a boss him, <laughs> you can kind of do a bounce on a boss hen, Um, and that's kind of close to a hiccup call. But, but that being said, I'd say there's probably about, you can, out of one duck call, you could probably get about eight to 10 different ducks out of it. Uh, eight, and eight to 10. Eight to 10. And then, and then of course, you can get, on your fee call, you can probably get, you know, four, five, six, you know, different feeds out of a call too. Cause you can, you can lock your throat down. You can open your throat up. You can lock your throat down. And so it's, it's just back and forth. Everything come, everything on a duck call is con controlled by your throat. And if you learn to control your throat, you know, you'll be a more proficient call when it comes to basically being in the field and believe it or not, Yes, you can go out in a spot, and if the ducks are there, you, you're going to kill them. But it's on the days that you the ducks aren't there, and you've got to convince them to move on into your spread. That's the days that basically separates the good callers from the the, the okay mediocre callers, because they'll make they'll they'll turn some bills and basically be doing stuff that will make them. You know, one of those guys is Rick Dunn. Watched him for years on video. You know, he's been with the best of the best. He's been in the blind with Ken Cullum, all these other guys, Tyler Merritt, all these guys and whatnot. And um, there's been times where he he knows when to call, when not to call, and he knows what to give them and what not to give them on certain days. And so that, to me, you can be okay on a duck call. And, and if you know when and when not to call, you, you'll be a better and successful hunter uh, versus a guy that might be, extreme on a duck call and uh and and not be able to uh to know how to read ducks so it's all about reading ducks again you know and getting back to the calling part but 
there's there, everything that you can possibly want is in a duck call as long as it is tuned right and uh it can make those sounds we make sure that when it goes out the door that it can make those sounds so it's all up to you you have the tool in your hand it's all up to you basically to to learn that and and they go of course that's why we're here right now i can only do so much to teach you you've got to kind of and I've said this over and over again, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You've got to change something if you're not doing it right. If you're not calling right, if you can't get a feed down right, if you can't get your hell call down right, you've got to change something. Don't do keep on doing the same old, same old. You got to change it up. So and we, when you start talking about it makes it makes so much sense and it's such a good way to think about duck calling. And I love the idea of things in life that you can separate yourself from and you don't need to be competitive with any other duck caller you can become a perfectionist on your own you can go into that hole or that hunt or that spread or that rice blind or that river that oxbow that buck brush that flooded timber that dry cornfield whatever it is you can go in there with a mindset of visualization and all and bring all of those practice sessions and techniques that you've learned Bring that skill set that you've learned and just better yourself on a daily basis. And there's something about knowing when you do what you just described, when you start to see your ability to manhandle ducks. And I don't know if that's the right word. It's better than control, I think. I like a duck caller that knows, like if they start getting off, and bring them right back on, you see it. You can see it in the duck's body language and the way they turn their head, the way they start to flutter their wings, the way they start to move their feet and their body and their belly. You can really see it in a group of mallard ducks of like, oh yeah, one more pass, one more pass. And I think that one of the things that separates a good duck caller, Chris, is patience and not having to shoot ducks at 40 yards and letting them hunt you up because you have this skill set that you have taken the time and, and um, to practice and to develop and to master. You have to have confidence in that. So you have to be able to say, heck no, I'm not shooting them right now. I can get all of them right here. And I think that that's what kind of separates my mindset from a lot is that I don't necessarily need to see a mallard die just because I woke up early in the morning and had all this money invested in this boat gas, this dock, you know, boat dock gasoline and my, and my maintenance on my boat and my fuel for my truck and my food for my dog and my, you know, my breakfast burrito. I have a lot invested in every hunt. So I want that hunt to be special and to see a duck just fall out of the air. It's cool because my dog or your dog get Lexi gets to go retrieve it. But there's something about seeing them do it right and knowing that your skill set put them right there. Ducks aren't always going to be right there. If you don't sound like ducks and you don't concentrate on your ability to look like ducks and move like ducks and then your concealment, consistently you're not going to get them right there. You're one of the better timber hunters I know. You don't consistently get them every single time you go out. That's the wrong thing to say. You consistently get them, but you don't get them every time. It's All of these pieces have to come together. When it happens, you're like, that's right. That's right. But when you when you when it happens, you will know it as a duck hunter. So that whole part about separating yourself, there's some duck hunters that might go their entire career without knowing that feeling of, oh, wow. I manhandled them. Sometimes they just drop right into your decoy spread, right? Sometimes they work the mojo. Sometimes you're up taking a leak and they come right in because that, that develops curiosity. Like, whoa, what's that movement over there? That's why people think it's a coincidence that they're always around us when we're taking a leak or moving the decoys. No, it's because they're seeing movement. It's not a coincidence, uh, right? So th uh, things are going to happen. I'll let you speak on it. I'm going to quit my ramble right now. But that is a big part of it to me of separating yourself of being like, I know that I just did that with my duck call. That was my vocalizations. And it might not have been the perfect pitch, but it was the perfect timing. It might not have been the perfect tone, but I read their body language perfect. You know, I hit them on the corner. I didn't blow them out of the hole, which can happen. So, you know what I mean? I think that's a big part of it is knowing when you got them. When you got them right. Yeah, exactly. When you got them right. And that's the thing. Like you said, yeah. Yeah. When I'm in the timber or whatnot, you know, believe it or not, and I've told people this over and over again, yes, I love eating duck when it's prepared, of course, right? Um, but 
that being said, if, if I could shoot them and let them land and look at them, I don't need to take a picture or anything. I just need to get that, basically that, that photo, you know, uh, pop in my head of, Hey, look, I just got that image in my head. I got that memory in my head and I'd let them go and go back and do what they want to do. It's not about the killing to me. It's never has been about the killing to me. It's about basically fooling a duck and making them think, feel like when you put them five feet in front of you, 10 feet in front of you and, and you fold that mallard to come in, especially a big wad of them. And, and, and again, that's where I like hunting traffic because there's no reason why they're probably never been in that timber ever. You know, take Tony Vandemore, for say, for instance, Habitat Flats. Um, you know, I went up there and visited him whenever my daughter went up there for a thing he was doing. And uh, he told me, he said, man, I've never seen in these ponds, I've never even seen a duck really in them. He said, but we kill them in there, you know, most of the year. You know, not every day does he kill them either. He moves around and he hunts the wind. But that being said, he's pretty consistent on staying on top of them. But he fools those birds. Those birds are not wanting to be in those in those holes, those timber holes, you know, that he has cut out and whatnot. They're basically trying they're they're in there because he fooled them and he's made them think that there's ducks just resting in between, you know, going to cornfields or going back to the refuge and so forth. And that's when it gets that's the gratification. We had last year we killed 17 birds. We had seven guys in a hole. Uh that was should have been 28 mallards, right? We killed 17 mallards. And that was one of my favorite hunts that I've ever been on the whole year. And the reason why is because those birds are sky high. I mean, way up in there. And we had seven good callers and we were all blowing to the top of the lungs, just blowing. And as soon as somebody would lay off, you'd be another guy be looking at you going, say, keep on blowing, keep on blowing. And we were back and forth, just teaming it. And, uh, these birds these big groups of birds would hear that and you would see them because it was a beautiful bluebird day. You would see them move away from you and you'd watch them and watch them and watch them. And they, and all of a sudden somebody would say, they're coming back, they're coming back. And here they come back. And when they came back, they were probably about 200 yards lower than what they were before. And uh, to put them on the water at five, 10 yards, every bird that came in, we killed when they came in because they were that close. Um, and I always make, the, I always make the funny thing is whenever I'm hunting with guys is don't let any of them get out because they're going to go tell their buddies and they ain't coming back tomorrow, you know? Um, but that was one of the funnest hunts. We had three group, two good groups come in that morning and everybody was ecstatic. Just couldn't believe it. They weren't one to be there. It was a hole we never hunted before. We said, let's try it. Let's set up. I watched the birds on a line the day before and sure enough, we went in there and killed 17. We didn't kill our limit, but it's not about killing your limit. It's not. It's it's not about the killing. It's about the the hunting and the and the and the having people around you and the and the you know uh, basically the camaraderie and so forth. So um, I think if I could t- if I could pass along anything to duck hunters in the future and the future duck hunters growing up is don't go out there just to kill birds. Go out there to hunt, not to kill. And that that's kind of in the lines of what I was talking about in my previous statement of like, could you go out and kill your ducks in, in different, you know, ways to get your limit and you're hungry and you're eating them all the time. And that's one thing, right? Like I don't necessarily need to just put a strap of ducks in there for a picture either. I agree with you for that. I like the idea of the being able to talk about the story that you just told. I like those kind of memories, the, the, the social media and the hashtags and the um, promotion of the, of, of your brands. I get all that. I get the photo shoots. I get the video promos. I understand what that means, but I think that you've hunted with me enough to understand that, we don't shoot ducks for those pictures. We don't mm-hmm. shoot ducks. Now, have I been, have I saved a duck 
from a hunt on a Friday on a bluebird day when we got him and I knew it was going to rain Saturday? Did I save a couple ducks for a couple days to do a photo shoot that might not have been fresh ducks from that hunt that we're emulating in that photo shoot? You're damn right I have. Because that's just part of the business. I still cleaned them and ate them after, but I, I, I have saved them for different parts because I knew that the next day might not be the right time to be in that part of the country to kill ducks with the weather system that was getting ready to move through there. So we saved them so we could get work done on those days that we weren't going to be having good hunts, right? So I've done that. But for the most part, you would attest to the fact that I don't call the shot. I, I don't get too anxious. I like to get them right. And I'm not saying like raw, raw. I'm just saying that there's something magnificent about calling ducks and working them. I'm not saying that if you don't call and you're not the caller and you don't know how to call or you're not proficient on a call, I'm not saying that going in there and killing them with your buddies isn't the funnest thing in the world because it is. But me personally, as a duck caller, we are talking to duck callers out there. There's something about manhandling ducks. And those are the stories I like to hear of like, man, you're looking at your buddies. No, stay on them, stay on them, stay on them. Which brings up a question is, I wonder how much humanistic noise can be made that ducks pay attention to once you once you get them you know what i mean i wonder what the audibles are or the uh, the audio part of if you got them and they're like they're just hell bent on that sound but your buddies over there going stay on them stay on them stay on them and they it sounds like a duck kind of like stay on them stay on them stay on i wonder if they can hear that shit right like i wonder if a duck picks up on that and if you can blow a duck out of the water with human sounds or is it more so the movement and something that just ain't right to them i was talking to jimbo listen to this point that jim ronquest brought up to me and i never thought of this and i'm sure you have because you've hunted timber way more than me when when ducks are in water depending on the depth of the water, the sediments are always being stirred and the water looks muddy. It looks like you're looking over a glass of chocolate milk or your cereal after you ate Cocoa Krispies, which I know for a fact you did today because I got a hidden camera in your kitchen, (laughs) three bowls. Um, So think about this analogy of duck hunting in the timber where you got eight, you said you just had seven guys up against trees. I know you guys aren't in a box blind. Your decoys are out there. You haven't killed a duck in 20 minutes. Lexi hasn't run through the decoys. None of you have moved out there. You might have shook the jerk string a tiny bit, but those ducks come over that hole and they see all of these muddy rings around the trees because we're moving our feet and we're kicking up sediments. So when Jim said that, I was like, man, I never thought of that. They come over that on a sunny day and they look down there and they're like, well, that don't look right. Look, and then it just makes them pinpoint and key in on those areas of that tree. So the, the moral of the story is to get your ass out there and shake up the decoy. So it's more consistent, you know, the muddy water and the sediments being loosened up and, and that water not being, you know, just clear and settled like it would be if you hadn't been out there in a minute, but we're always moving our feet or walking back or getting a, getting a biscuit out of the bag or put, you know, feeding the dog a snack or putting a duck on the strap or whatever. He said, there's muddy rings around those trees. And that that's a reason why people get picked out in those situations. I'm just saying that that's another point that I just heard about the timber, but think about that, the muddy rings around trees. Yeah. I mean, you taking a, I know you have taken like drones as far as on private places and brought it up in there. And we, we have two and yeah, I mean, it, that's definitely, I've thought about that a hundred times over as far as on, I'm always thinking about when you're sitting up against a tree. Yeah. You're trying to look like a stub, but what's the chances of, in the timber in that particular spot that there's seven or eight stubs on the side of the tree, you know? So, uh, I've always tried to think of ways to, you know, to put a canopy above you or something to try to break that up because that, you know, you're trying to, you are trying to camouflage that spot. You are walking around and there are spots that basically, uh, in certain places of timber, they put gravel down for that reason. And the reason they put gravel in their traditional holes, so when they are walking around, it's bubbling, but it's not stirring mud up. Um, I've heard of that. You know, there's, yeah, I think when they get stale, it's like all kinds of things. The line on the jerk string, when you pull the jerk string, uh, you know, people, all you got to do is take an eye and you run it, run the string through an eye and then take that eye and stick it in the mud and keep that string underneath the water. That's a big thing. You can see that line flap that water on a sunny day, like it's nobody's business. Um 
the same thing with, you know, walking around, same thing walking out in the decoys, same thing with decoys itself. You know, if decoys heads are not perfectly. Yeah, I think you can start getting, I mean, which you probably know me by now. I'm kind of ain't about everything. Uh, when it, I, I'm always trying to think of why didn't they do it? And I've been with some guys that basically, and, and been in times where if we wouldn't have done that change, if we wouldn't have made that move. And yeah, sometimes it's like, okay, we got 15 minutes left. You know, it's going to be 10 o'clock or whatever. Birds ain't flying. There's no reason to switch things around. But if you got group after group after group and they come in and they go to pitch in and they fix the fall and then they pick up, there's something why they want it in there, but there's something why they didn't do it. So trying to figure out that is like a game to me of trying to get them on the water, trying to make their put their feet down. You know, other people, they swoop in and what they, what do they do? They say, hey, we're going to have to start shooting some of these ducks. But me, on the other hand, I'm like, no, we got to figure out how to finish them because I don't want to be shooting them treetops. But other guys, and I think that's the reason why it's so much harder nowadays, especially getting to the later of the season, is because people, when they didn't figure it out, they go ahead and they just start shooting ducks. That's because and, they don't they don't want them to go get down and start a raft somewhere else, right? They don't want that. True. They don't they don't want all those ducks that start coming over that timber to key in on a big raft of whether it's chatter going on or whether it's the visual part of it they, that they can see from some of their vantage points. So they'll do. I've heard that remark a lot. We need to start shooting some of these ducks. Yep. You know, they're going to go over there and they're going to start you know accumulating over there, and and that holds water to me, but. I also think that there's something to be said about killing the ducks that you trick. And if you do have to make minor adjustments, um, and I've me, I'm guilty of it with you of like, no, I, I, I have confidence in what we have right here. I think we're going to get him. And you say, right. no, just a minor adjustment on moving a tree or two each um, back or over or whatever with the sun and the shadows could help us. Don't know if it does. I'm going to argue that no. it, I don't know. You just never know. But again, no, it, doesn't, really don't. it doesn't hurt us, right? So right. I just think the audio part of this game, the audio part, okay? I've always said Arkansas is an audio state for duck hunting. I truly think that it is. Um, no matter where you hunt, knowing that you had them, okay? Not the easy ones that just fall in because that's going to happen. But knowing that when that when you're working flocks and you see that reaction, I think that all of this goes back to what you just said of we can get them closer. We can do something to manhandle these ducks. The audio mixed with the concealment, mixed with the you know, a live looking decoy spread, whatever it is, we can get them better. They might be stale, but I don't want to shoot them at I don't need another duck in the freezer. That's my now some people might. Some people might need that strap. They've waited all week to go hunting. They're damn sure going to kill them at treetop level if they ain't working down in the hole because that's their one day to go and get their ducks. And I get that. I totally understand that. My point is that you can, you get them. I've had so many good duck hunts in the last seven, five, six, seven days of the season in Arkansas. California, bluebird skies, mallards and pintails dying like it's their job. You'd have think they'd seen everything, heard everything. There's no way they're coming in that last week. I'd have never thought a million years people be killing turkeys in almost the end of May. People are smoking turkeys right now in different parts of the country, right? You think that they should they've been there seen and I know that different seasons open up at different times, but good hunters can get it done. Good duck callers can trick them with vocalizations, knowing when, how loud, when not to call, all of that stuff. You made a reference of the feed chatter, which we're going to get into on one of our next jargon instructional episodes here at the Fallout Podcast, is you know you don't you might not necessarily need that. Just getting them on the corners and controlling them like that, and then going to that hiccup call is good. But I want to go back to the call real quick, Chris Cifrio, on when you start dealing with these different ducks. I'm a very seasoned duck caller, meaning I've blown a lot of duck calls on a lot of duck hunts okay in my life but i still don't have the confidence to transition from raspy to coarse to all of the different ducks that to me is the secret of being a badass set yourself apart go to the next level of duck calling 
Goose calling, all trans, all transition from a lesser to a cackler to a greater to a mid range to a hiccup to a to a to a moan to a cluck to a double cluck to a spit note to a spit cluck to a lay down. All transition, no problem. No problem. Have all the confidence in the world. I I can kill ducks, but I still don't have that confidence to be like, I don't have it because I all, I always feel like I'm going to blow the call out. I'm going to stick the read. I'm going to have my hand in the wrong position. My tongue's not going to be seated right. All of this shit's going through my mind. This is where practice comes in of like, once it's go time, you don't have time to be thinking of all this. You're a UFC fighter. You go out there and execute your game plan. You're a gymnast. You go out there on the floor and do your floor exercise and execute your, your, his or her game plan. Okay. You don't think about all of this shit. Me as a duck caller, I'm thinking, man, I want to be able to get that high pitched duck. Bobby Heim. Holy shit. Can he nail that? Duck? Like it's so, <laughs> it's so awesome to hear him do that. And he does it with okay. such ease. Yeah. So my point <laughs> is, is how do we find that confidence, Chris? Cause it can't be taught. I don't think that confidence can be taught. We have to figure out how to get a duck caller, he or she, male or female, young or old, newbie or, or veteran, to be able to go, my mouth is here, my hand is here. I don't know if it's you coming out with a, a new instructional series that includes diaphragms, but there's something going on that's minuscule in that mouth cavity. There's something going on with that hand. There's something going on with that diaphragm, that air. It's not easy. You can't sit here and tell me it's easy. All of that stuff comes together to get that perfect octave, to get that perfect note, to get Axl Rose, the best lead singer of all time in the history of music. Nobody can hit those notes on all of those different ranges like Axl Rose can, in my opinion. I'm sure there are out there, but he can do it. So how do we get that confidence instilled in duck callers to be able to do that, whether it's warranted or needed to kill ducks, I want to sound as like as many realistic live hen mallards as I possibly can. That's the secret, Chris, of setting yourself apart. Anybody can go out and kill them with one duck when the timing's right, when the sun's right, when the ducks are in the area. But how can I be the master of my duck call? That's the secret. That's the question. That's the challenge to all of us. How can I become the master of my domain? And my domain is this duck call. That's, yeah, the, that's the question. I mean, I don't know if I'll be able to answer that question, but I know one thing's for certain. And, and if you want to try to accomplish that, if you want to try to basically get it to where you can get the whole full range, and I'm not trying to be a commercial here, but you do have to have a call that's going to get it. You know, I've blown a number of calls, like probably hadn't blown nearly as many as you have, but I've blown a number of calls in the market and there's some great calls out there. There is, but you have to have a call that's going to be able to get that range. Bobby Hemes had said it, you know, Bobby had said it one time. He's like, man, I, I never felt confident on my feet call as I do now with my Jorgen small talk. That's, I'm not saying that a Jorgen call is the call that you have to have. There's great calls in the market. You know, we, we put a hundred percent, every time we build a call, we put a hundred percent into it. Um, and, and we try to be the best of the best, but that being said, you have to have a call that you are confident with, but don't find the crutch. Don't find a call that basically you feel like it enables you to play that instrument. You need to find a call that is more advanced, that you do feel like that you know that's tuned right, that you know the guys that can blow that call and get from top to bottom on it. Get that call, practice it, learn it, but do not do the same thing over and over again. Again, I've seen so many people that are monotone. They do the same exact thing. I don't know if you've ever watched Walk the Line with the old uh, Johnny Cash deal where he's like, you say the same old song just like this. And he said, change it up. And that's when he came out and he played that new song. And he was like, that's it. That's the one. It's the same thing with duck calling. You've got to change it up. You can't keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Start moving things around. Start trying to get your quack down perfect. Really polish your quack perfectly because, again, we've said it again over and over is that the quack is based off everything. 
you can get that that quack polished and you can get that quack of font fine of course of raspy boss you wouldn't believe how easy everything else comes you know i think i got better to be honest with you where i got better at blowing a duck call by far my i am not the best in the world by far but where i got i got an advance myself is i used to teach a call class in louisiana and it made me sit there and try to nail those notes it's like going outside and say you're say you're a gymnast or whatever, or you're a UFC fighter. You walk in and first punch you throw, you knock them out. Man, that's pretty good to go in there and first throw, knock them out. But every time they go in there, that's what they're doing. They're trying to end it quick, right? Same thing with a gymnast when they make flips and cartwheels and everything else. They're trying to, they're hit. They've been practicing trying to hit it on the first try every every time. You ain't got no second chances. Like, oh, what's his name said? If you ain't first, you're last, you know? Ricky but, Bobby. Yeah, Ricky Bobby. But that being said, that's what I'm. That's what made me better is that whenever I had people in front of me, 40, 50 guys in front of me at call night, I had to hit that note perfect and was trying to hit that note. Yeah, did I mess up because I'm human? Yeah, I messed up sometimes. But it made me better and better and better. And I'm telling you, once you learn it, once you get it down, it doesn't leave you. Yes, you can be rusty when you pick it up, but it, the, the the mindset and the muscle memory never leaves you. It's just it's it's nuts. It really is. You take good callers; they're still good callers today. They can still pick up a duck call and they can blow a duck call because they didn't figure it out. You take a boat driver. You take a guy that's basically driving a car, driving you know NASCAR or whatever. They still got it. And does it come down to talent that some people are more talented than others? Yes. Some people are more talented than others. I got some guys that I can name that's just like, whoa, how in the heck do you do that? But everybody can achieve it. Everybody has it in them. It's a matter of practicing. And I really do believe everybody thinks, well, hey, look, uh, duck season's really right now, not right now. I'm not going to pick up my duck calls. I'll pick them up maybe a couple weeks before season. I mean, I know one guy told me last year, coming to the shop, bought a call. He's like, man, I hadn't blown a duck call in literally all year long, and this is the first time I'm blowing it again. I'm like, dude, and you're serious about duck hunting? I've been blowing my duck call, and not that I have to. I blow up my duck call when I don't have to. You know, when I'm not tuning calls, I walk around, I blow my duck call. Either that or I'm walking around doing like you say. I'm actually getting that memory to keep going. Huge, huge word, right? Huge word, huge word right there. That's a huge thing of you don't have to have your call on you to get those, to get, to get it right and to keep practicing. Nope. Nope. The timing and the memory, the timing and the memory, those transitions, that air control. Like that helped that has helped me so much over the last two, three years of just getting my mouth in place and my stomach right and my diaphragm and my belly button. I'm telling you, this is not easy. This is like playing a professional instrument or singing on stage, pure and simple, pure and simple. The control that you can achieve with these instruments is genius when done right, when done right. Genius. It might not look like much because old hillbilly rednecks up there on stage with a camo jacket on just hammering out with a Copenhagen in his mouth like he's freaking just <laughs> like he just gets it. But these that's the guys that are just pure talent, pure man. talent. <laughs> Dude, I've seen I've seen people to be like, I'm just like, good night. You sound like just you sound unreal. But you John can get David, there. John, John David. David's one of those guys. Yeah. John David. When he gra- when he blows a Main Street call, I'm like. Just like wow, he's been runner up twice Power. in the world. Been runner up twice on in the worlds. Like being runner yeah. up, you might as well be the winner. I mean, the judges ain't telling the difference, right? There's no difference. Yeah. They just said shit. Just yeah. pick one. Just pick yeah. one. That, I mean, that's what I happens. Go, in that. I wish he'd go win it. He will. I'm not a. Uh, 
I've never been a contest caller guy. I just never, I don't know. In my mind, it's like uh, bass fishing, duck hunting, anything. Basically, I don't have, I don't, I don't need to prove. I don't need to show up a six pounder. I don't need to have a wad of ducks. I want to prove stuff to myself. And by killing ducks, by knowing that I fooled them, I know that I fooled them. I know that I caught the bass. I know that I figured out the, the fish in the water, whatever it is. I don't know. It just, it don't get it for me. I mean, I guess it's kind of like a mindset like Phil Robertson said. It's like, you know, we call the judges, you know. He went for so, the bucks and I went for the ducks. Yeah. That's what Terry Bradshaw but did. I mean, but if you were making a million five a year catching bass, I promise you, you're catching bass. I promise you, like that, you got to give it up to guys like Van Dam and how they get into that initial spot in their life of like, I'm going to go win the Bassmasters or the FLW or the, go win the world. Yeah, but, now, they, but but the thing about that is, is the difference between bass fishing and duck hunting is, is, and everybody thinks there's a lot of luck in bass fishing. Don't get me wrong. There's there's some there's times that it's your time to catch, right? But you caught those fish. Nobody can take that away from you. If you go on the golf golf course and you score, you know, shoot a 69, 68 or whatever, you win the tournament, 65, whatever it is, and you win that tournament, nobody can take that away from you. They can't say, you know what, well, I didn't like your drive on number 16, you know. And that's what I mean about the duck call contest is, is that the reason why, don't get me wrong, I think it's great, and there is great judges out there that that actual judge it and and they're fair and so forth don't get me wrong but at the end of the day i feel like it's based truly on opinion and it's not of saying okay because my opinion to your opinion might be like man did you hear him hit that high note and i was like yeah that was amazing and you're like man it really didn't sound as good as i thought you know so that's where duck calling reason why i've never really got into it is because i feel like it's based on opinion and don't get me wrong, you know, if I go, there's guys who go, I go up there and they'll just hammer me, you know, just there's good callers out there, great callers. And the people that have won call tests in the back, I can't sit there and say that they're not the a really, really good caller. But to sit there and say that when you have, what, how many people go up there and, and blow now? 70, what? 80? 75 77 every state represented plus regional winners and right uh, so to say okay out of those 77 pe people i'd hate to be a judge because i just i couldn't pick one i'd be like man we're gonna give it to you and we're gonna give it to you you know because y'all both sounded well awesome. the other difference is is that even even duck calling championships are more of a personal accreditation a personal uh, Agree. Most most of the guys that I know that have won trophies. I mean, I saw one guy win the U.S. Open Goose Trophy. It's a big old Stanley Cup. Look, and he'll use it as a spittoon. Right back to that redneck mentality. I mean, it, no it was by, by by ten o'clock that night. It was becoming a spittoon. So, um, I think that with bass fishing, you got a chance to win a lot of money. If you win the Bass Masters, you start getting endorsement deals. You start getting Absolutely. boats. You start getting appearances on ESPN and Outdoor Channel and all that. And when you win duck calling contests, it's more of like, I'm a I'm a I'm a good duck caller on stage. I'm I mass I practiced and I mastered this because it ain't easy to win the worlds. It ain't easy to win the live duck or the two man or the any of that stuff. So to do what John Stevens has done and win it three times or Trey Crawford or Brad Allen and then win the champion of champions and do what these men have done and Jim Ronquest, I can name a ton of champions and what Butch Rickenbrock, you know, brought to the table way back in the day. It's it's self it's self-fulfilling because I often tell people, man. Just because you win a world duck calling championship isn't going to like catapult you or vault you in to stardom in the duck hunting industry. Does that make sense? Like Phil Robertson, Phil, Phil Robertson's the most famous. Phil Robertson is the fa most famous duck hunter of all time. He's become a millionaire off of his celebrity, off of his personality, off of his intelligence, off of Willie and his his tenacity to go out there and build Duck Dynasty with A and E and everything they did. But Phil Robertson, he can he can hammer a duck call. Don't get me wrong, but he kills ducks with a little seventeen dollar ninety nine cent DC six hundred that he's made famous in little double reads, right? The little molded calls, they're badass. It's Duck Commander. They did what they did, but 
he didn't become famous off of being an unbelievable duck caller. He became famous off of being a personality. Bass fishing, you can become famous off of being an unbelievable bass fisherman. Same as NASCAR. It's the same mentality, right? There's a lot of money in both of them. Well, what I was getting at is, is that, you know, there's no chance, there's no opinion on if you won that tournament or not. You come back with 25 pounds three days in a row and you get the most weight, you're going to win that tournament. Now, ain't nobody can take that away from you. That's the same thing with other sport, you know, sports or whatever, so forth. Where I come in a duck calling is, it's just like playing a saxophone, playing whatever. You're going to be the best trump, trombone player or whatever. You know, turkey caller, duck caller, goose caller. It's It comes down to it's, it's got to be based on opinion. And don't get me wrong. A guy that wins it three times, huh, well, we know, hey, obviously he's a hell of a duck caller, right? Because he's won it three times, you know, and he's won champion, champion, so forth. No questions asked. That guy's... You know, all I'm saying is, is that bass fishing, nobody can take that away from you as far as any any of those things that you have. It's all based on you. You control if you're going to win that tournament or not. You control if you're going to win that golf tournament, that basketball game, whatever it is. You might shoot better. You might so forth. When it comes down to duck calling, I've seen so many good guys that get almost there and they don't make it and they don't win. But 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 the thing is, it's like, they, they go at it for a certain amount of time. But after, after a while, most duck callers are like, man, I'm practicing like crazy. I've, I placed in the top 10. I might, I might go back and try again, win the state championship, qualify for Stuttgart again. But they still ain't making no money at it. You go to bass fishing, I no. you, you finish in the top 10 or 20 of a tournament, you're in the payday. You're getting a check. You're in the top five, you're getting a happy Gilmore, a big check. No, I want the big check. No, I want the big one. Sign the big one. <laughs> I want to take that to the bank. So that's what I'm saying is like, if you're in bass fishing, you know, when you get to that water, you have a chance to be in the money. You're one of the top 50 duck callers in the world. There ain't no money in it. There used to be more money in it. And it's kind of died off with the, with the, with the, you know, the retail business changing and going to Amazon and internet and online based and all that, the big boxes, shields and Cabela's and Bass Pro. And, and I know Rogers in Kansas city still has a good event. Max has, you know, an event, but there used to be so many big events, Chris, across this country put on by retailers and parking lot events that I used to travel to every one of them because the money was okay. I'd at least be able to make my, my travel expenses back. But it's, there's just no money. And I think my point is, my point, Chris, is that if there was a lot of money in it like there is in bass fishing, I think guys would stay on longer and try to become more proficient at it. You can't, be, you can't become a bass fisherman and just be like, oh, man, I got all the money in the world. Them boats are 100 grand a piece. You, gotta, you have to have some, some leverage and some sponsors and some tenacity in that business, and you have a chance to win a lot of money every time you enter a contest. You do not in the duck hunting game. It's more self-fulfillment, period. I agree. Now, do I think John Stevens' three world championships and Jimbo's one world championship have helped the success of Rich and Tone? I truly do. They had a great yeah. calling team with the MVP and all of that. Maximum volume, maximum volume performance, I think it stood for. Um, I think that it helped, but it didn't make John a rich man winning those titles. John's creativity and his business sense and his entrepreneurial spirit is what did all that. Absolutely. Same thing at Duck Commander. I mean, he didn't win a contest at all, never even blew in a contest. And, you know, mindset, business mindset, making the right moves. I mean, there is some luck in it. Don't get me wrong. You got to get connected with the right people at the right time. You know, destiny. You got to have the destiny in, in that situation. But, you know, you can make in anything you do, as long as you do it to 100% of your ability, you can make money in anything you do. You can pick up garbage. They got guys that are basically picking up scrap metal or picking up all your junk in your garage that you don't want. And they made a killing. What was that thing called? The junk thing, whatever it was called. They had these huge things they drop in your yard. and Yeah, ju- you know, uh, got junk, question mark or whatever. Got junk. That's exactly right. Made, made a killing. You know, again, anything you do, you do it to the fullest of ability. You try to be passionate about it. You're going to make money at it. But I was just getting at is that's the reason why I never, you know, uh, never got into contest calling because I didn't feel like 
I didn't need to prove myself to a judge. I needed to prove myself to a duck. And that's kind of a little bit of Phil Robertson mindset that, hey, you know, he calls he, he calls the judges, the judges are the ducks in the air. And that's just kind of how I feel. It's like, would it be awesome to win a world championship? Heck yeah, it would. What, but yeah, but you if know? there was a lot of money in it, I'm just saying, the practice is if there's a chance to become – even in the biggest things in the world, man, you're going to give out on MMA fighting if you ain't making no money at it, right? You got to be in the money. You got to win. To win the championship, your payday goes up. So you train hard and you try to become a champion in everything that you do. If there was money in duck calling, more people would strive for success and excellence in, in, in mainstream competition calling. There's just no money in it. But I, I think the I, reason why there's no money in it, Chad, is because people feel like it's based off an opinion. That's the reason why there's not as much money on it. Again, it like I said, bass fishing, you catch them, you catch them. They can't, nobody can that's take a, that away. That's, that's, that's a good point because like gymnastics, there's, there's, but there's money in gymnastics. There's money in, in endorsements and all of that stuff. There's so much bigger money. If you're a, a world-class gymnast that wins an Olympic gold medal, you're not getting rich off of being Olympian. You're getting rich off all the endorsements that come after it. Yeah, but a gymnast is... It's all the same thing. It's up to a judge. You know, what is up to judge, it's based on opinion, but it's not based off of a sound wave. It's based off of basically a, a move that you're going to make with your body that you can go back and flash back and say, yeah, hey, look, she missed that jump or she you know, flipped her hand down too quick or whatever it is. On sound, you can't really... Visual, it's not a visual deal. That's no, I, 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 I agree. It's it's a very, it's, you know, we, we got off track here a little <laughs> bit. We're way off. But, but there's got to be a reason to get more people into duck calling, um, you know, to, to get them practicing and becoming yeah. more proficient. And, I, you know, it all came out with my statement of my confidence level is just not there. And I'm very proficient on a call, I think. Not like world champion. I'm not saying I'm a better duck call than anybody. I'm saying, in my opinion, I'm very proficient on a duck call. And I still have not learned how to get over the fear of going to all of those different ducks with the fear of sticking the call and not making the right, not, not making the right mallardly sound. But I want to keep this going. I want to get into more of these cadences next time. The quack is very important. Quack's the foundation of all this. It even becomes kind of the foundation of the chatter, the separator call. Yeah, I'd like to figure out what you what we could do, you know, because I do, I do. The main thing I like to see is I like to see the youth. I like to see kids involved. The kids, if you can start a kid off, they, they're like a sponge, right? So if you can get a kid to be blowing a duck call correctly at the beginning, I mean, you take that guy that was that little, little, little boy that was over there at uh, um, the NWTF show two years ago. I mean, obviously he's practicing every day and he had some good instruction and whatnot, but he could blow and rip on a call. So I like to get the youth more involved, you know, not so much as the adults and so forth. That's what it's about. It's about getting the youth involved. And if the youth gets involved and they, you know, they're going to, you know, that's, that's our growing. That's the way we're going to grow our sport in my opinion and, and get people to shoot them close and to make them and fool them and put them in the decoys and not treetop them. So uh, I don't know how you could do the calling contest any other way, any structured any other way. But uh, I mean, you know, team calling and stuff like that. I like that a lot more. I do like seeing whenever I go to a different competition or something and they're, they've got a team calling contest. I mean, that's what I like to hear. I like to hear that you, you're sounding like a raft of birds on the water, you know, not really so, so much just one. Now, don't get me wrong. Listening to Main Street guys, man, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, to hear them. Huge but, control. And a lot of them can hunt. A lot of them can manhandle ducks too. Manhandle. Most, most of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, we said a lot, as Howard Stern would say, even though I don't listen to him much anymore because of differences. You've said it all, Chris. That's right. Jargongamecalls.com. Today's episode brought to you again by Gerber Gear. 
Lear Toppers and Rigid Industries. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support us here at The Foul Life. Check out our sister podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody, and Where the Pavement Ends. Lots of good content coming. The brand new Provider TV coming your way this summer. Brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life premiering on the Outdoor Channel, exclusively only on the Outdoor Channel, beginning July 2nd, 2021. Lots of cool content, great episodes, great stories. Some tear jerkers in there, boys and girls. Y'all are going to love it. Got to find that passion. Got to tell that story. We got some good ones coming your way. Get your new 10-pack or single packs of the variety we have at theproviderlife.com. We have so many good dry rubs. We love them all. Check them out for all of your wild game domestic vegetable needs. We're fired up about it. Keep us posted on anything you want to hear on the podcast. We'll be back at you with another episode soon. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. 